0: The snow and I said I have a plan. It just takes four to six weeks to implement. <laughs> so it's coming. Spring, spring's technically here, but it's coming. So let's just join in word and prayer, with you? Father, thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. Thank you uh, that you're present wherever we are. You're there, uh, and that you've invited us into your presence. Uh, that you've welcomed us in worship and through your word. I just pray your anointing upon each and every one. God, help me communicate. What you put on my heart uh, and uh, communicate to let every person here receive something from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount and uh, taking it kind of verse by verse to allow the, the topic to be di- dictated by the Scripture. In other words, just ex, uh, expository uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we got through the Beatitudes. How about that? Twelve verses in one Sunday, boom! Now we're gonna we're gonna slow back down. And this morning we're gonna look at Matthew five thirteen through sixteen. I'm gonna read it in the New King James. But I forgot. There we go. Uh, Matthew five thirteen through sixteen. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. Hi, Kathy. Good to see you. (laughs) Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, because it is the Sermon on the Mount, we're very familiar with these verses and these words. So we want to slow down and kind of take a deeper look and consider what this might mean. I'm going to read it in a different translation, really more of a paraphrase. It's the message, and it's a little longer, but it, it, it's, it's in more of today's wording. So it goes like this. Let me tell you why you're, here, why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've uh, now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. That's good, isn't it? Be generous with your lives. lost my place. Okay. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God. Ah! This this generous Father that we have in heaven. Amen? So, um, the previous verses, actually, at the end of the Beatitudes, talked about persecution. Remember that? If not, you can listen to it and... And how there was persecution that was going to be coming if you're a believer, and now Jesus turns the, the the topic of the discussion from the treatment the disciples, and if again recall that the the Sermon on the on the Mount is a lesson on discipleship. That's the primary purpose of the sermon on the mount jesus is setting the tone of his kingdom those who are following him he's describing what a life that lifestyle of those who are christ followers should be so it's really about discipleship, what a disciple's life should look like and the issues in the disciple's heart. And so Jesus turns from the treatment disciples will receive, which was persecution, the previous couple of verses, to the influence that we are to have on the world. So there's kind of a switch. Jesus is speaking on being a disciple, but what he's saying, he is, he's saying it to everyone. Again, remember the setting. Uh, he was with his disciples, but the crowd was there too. It's quite interesting that I've read a number of commentaries and, and dictionaries concerning this passage, and there's an argument whether... There's an argument. Uh, that's really what Bible scholars really do, is they just argue with one another and then write books about it. <laughs> and sometimes I, I just sit back and go, I'm like, what are you guys arguing about? It's obvious. Uh, it's both, both are true, you know. Uh, the, the argument is, is, is he addressing the disciples or is he addressing, you know, the, the whole of, 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 of humanity or, or everyone that's there, the crowd? And because initially he's referring and, and their argument is, well, obviously he's addressing disciples because the requirements are the requirements expected of disciples. But later he, he opens it up to the crowd and in the setting and the crowd is there. And so Jesus is speaking on being a disciple, what it means, but what He says is for everyone to hear. And I think this is a great example of the idea of treating non-believers like Christians until they realize they aren't. All right? And then inviting them to become a Christ follower. And we'll see this in Jesus' life that He doesn't differentiate between discipleship disciples, Discipleship. (laughs) I don't know why I'm kind of happy this morning. (laughs) Huh? And evangelism. And evangelism. Discipleship and evangelism, the message is really one. You know, but we have artificially separated them. We think you do evangelism one way, and then once they're a Christian, you, you, you change and treat them a different way. And, and now you need to learn and study. And we think that we can't address non what we might label as a non-Christian, and that is a vague term and hard to describe. And, and so we, don't, we, we think, oh, we have to talk to them like non-Christians. Listen, this is a secret. Just treat everybody like they're a believer. Okay? I don't care if you're even if they have a, a button on that says you know Darwin or something. Uh-huh. It's just isn't God great? You know, can, hey, let's pray about this. And it opens up doors. Just be who you are, like you are around Christians when you're around people in the world, and that. And what happens is you 'll find that a lot of them actually are, but maybe they don 't realize what that means or you invite them and Jesus did this. Jesus just spoke on what it means to be a disciple, and as he 's declaring what it means to be a disciple, it actually draws people into discipleship and that 'll happen in your life if you, if you declare if you live it, you talk about it, it draws people into that type of relationship that 's the influence that we 're to have on the world. And so we are, he uses a couple illustrations, salt of the earth. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is in good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt, obviously, I kind of was thinking it would be great if I had a, a salt sample for everyone to taste, but I couldn't figure out a way, and I didn't think of it until like 9 o'clock last night. So <laughs> imagine tasting salt, and it's, it's, it's pretty flavorful, right? Yeah, I could have handed out salt packets had everybody put the whole packet in your mouth <laughs> and then wait till the end of the service. <laughs> salt, it gives flavor, but it also prevents corruption, doesn't it? It, it? it preserves. Disciples, this is a quote from one of the books I'm using, disciples, if they are true to their calling, make the earth a purer, more pure and more palatable place. So it's more pure, but it's also more palatable. It tastes better. Very good. And that's our influence that we're to have. In Jesus' day, salt was actually very valuable. It was, it was often used in, as currency. Uh, and, and so it also speaks not only of its effects or its, its taste, but it, it, its, its value. And so, those, Jesus is saying that if you live this way as a disciple, that's really what's valuable in the world. That, that's where true riches are. Not only does it bring seasoning, does it bring flavor, not only does it prevent corruption, but there's real value. Everybody say value. You know, It's hard for us to think of salt as being valuable because we have an, a, this abundance. But back in the ancient times, it was a very, very valuable resource. And so he's speaking of its nature, but also its value. But if salt loses its flavor, so first of all, He's using this as an illustration, not a chemistry lesson. Because if you're like me, you're going, excuse me, salt can't lose its flavor (laughs) in one sense. But he's using it as an illustration. We'll we'll talk a little bit more how it can um, use its flavor. But another aspect of the illustration of salt is that it was a common term to uh, describe or a common reference, analogy, metaphor of wisdom. So salt in Jesus' day, but also in Scripture often is used to represent wisdom. And Paul uses it this way in Colossians chapter 4:6 uh, when he's writing, He says, "Let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Uh, like, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. You know, the little term is a kind of funny term. We don't use that term now. But what it meant is full of wisdom. Uh, and the next phrase kind of explains that, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So it speaks of its, 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 its flavor, it speaks of its effect of preventing uh, corruption, but it also speaks of wisdom, and that we are that in the earth. The Greek for the term or for the phrase, if it loses, when Jesus said if it loses its flavor, can actually literally be translated if it becomes foolish. <laughs> Which really highlights that Jesus was referring to the idea of salt. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. That you're the wisdom. He's, that was a common. Is it, am I making sense here? It Was a common representation for wisdom. And the phrase loses flavor means it becomes foolish. Um, he goes on. A foolish disciple. Let's just walk through with that. What does that mean? A foolish disciple then is not going to have influence. If a disciple that loses its flavor is not going to have influence. It's it's good just to be thrown out and trampled. Someone who loses their flavor, that distinct Christ-like character, being a disciple, being and following Christ, representing, representing Jesus Christ, His attributes, his His attitudes, His actions, His words, His thoughts. If we lose that, we're we lose the influence. Foolish or good for nothing, what what it really leads to, it's, it's a loss of the value. And so you take something that is valuable and if you lose that distinction, uh, you lose the value. Like salt, <clears throat> so diluted, and this is where we can understand what it, what it means about losing its flavor, that it gets so diluted. You know, is, You can have salt water, but and it can preserve, it can taste salty, but eventually if you dilute it to the point where you can't taste the salt, there's not enough saltiness in there, there's not enough Christ-likeness in your life so that it doesn't have any Christ-like flavor or it doesn't produce uh, the prevention of corruption, then what happens is, rather than having influence, you'll just be walked on, trampled. Others will walk over you. And so, think of this in the sense of influence. Jesus is talking, this is how to influence the world. But if you lose your saltiness, not only will you lose the influence, but you'll just be at the mercy of others. People will just trample all over you. Amen? So, salt of the earth, it's a warning. Don't lose the distinction. Don't be deluded. And there's a tension in life between, uh, about being. there's a tension in, in being relevant. Uh, being meaningful to those who believe and behave so contrary or different to the character of Christ and becoming so deluded that we're irrelevant to Jesus. <laughs> right? There's a tension. How, and I'm not going to deny that. It's not an easy solution. How can you? How can you be meaningful? How can you relate to people who believe and behave so contrary to, to the teachings of Christ uh, and, and interact with them and communicate them with, with, uh, with them in, in words and ways they understand, but not lose your distinction. Uh, and if we, if we lose our distinction, we if we lose our flavor, we actually become irrelevant to Jesus. All right? So we need to connect with those in the world, but not lose our distinction. And a good test is that, that issue of persecution. A good test is that if in your connecting, if you still encounter some persecution, some pushback, then you know that you're not so deluded that they don't even know you're a Christian. (laughs) Right? Okay. Uh, A better test is that you are reproducing the flavor of Christ. All right. Preventing corruption and directing attention to our Heavenly Father. So you should find ways. It should influence. You should be able to see that influence reproducing the character of Christ. Then he goes on and uses another illustration called the light of the world. You are the light of the world, um, like uh, salt. Light affects its environment. It affects what it touches. Uh, uh, disciples are to affect those around us. We're to shine. Amen. Another quote from from uh, the commentary of France says a disciple who is visibly different from other men will have an effect on them. And again, there's a, there's a desire that wants to blend in. Um, and sometimes it, it may be out of fear of man. Sometimes uh, it may be motivated out of thinking that you don't have anything to offer. But I want to encourage you, don't get, don't get so deluded. Don't, get, um, so, don't blend in so much that nobody notices. <laughs> right. uh, light, like salt, also disinfects. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you realize this, it's one of the best disinfectants of, of all is sunshine. Sunshine will kill almost all viruses and all bacteria. Um, and, uh, and so that has that same uh, effect as salt. Corruption, on the other hand, breeds in darkness. And that's true in the natural. In order to teach us, The spiritual truth that when things are kept secret, when things are hidden, when things are done in darkness, it breeds corruption. Anything that you can't do in public is probably something you shouldn't do. All right? Except when you're with your spouse alone. (laughs) That's okay. All right. Uh, We are to be lights in this dark world. And so Jesus is saying, you're the light of the world. You have this influence. Go out and shine. And he understands how dark the world world is. John eight twelve, he says this. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life." So Jesus is the preeminent light. <laughs> um, and when Jesus talks about being the light of the world, he's actually fulfilling a, a prophecy concerning him that we find in Isaiah forty nine. i to figure out where I am. Where it says, this was a prophecy spoken hundreds of years earlier by Isaiah concerning the Messiah. Um, it says this, Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant? And that's a term for the Messiah throughout the whole Old Testament. To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so God's the prophetic mandate for the Messiah was to restore the people of Israel, in other words, the, the literal descendants of Abraham, but also to bring light and life to every people group, every nation, every tribe, people on every uh, side of the earth, every language, and so that prophecy Jesus is actually saying I am that light. When Jesus said those words, he was referring specifically uh, to that um, scripture. So Jesus is the preeminent light. We all agree with that. He's the light of the world. But guess what? He delegates that. Jesus says, being the light, he says you are the light of the world. Oh, so he's delegated that job to you. And let's take this another little step which I thought was quite interesting. Paul takes this personally and applies it, the the Old Testament verse that I just read in Isaiah, he um, applies that verse, which was ascribed, the right way to interpret that verse is that it's speaking of Messiah, but in the New Testament, we see it as a commandment to you and I, to us. Because in Acts 13, he quotes that verse. He says, For so the Lord has commanded us, Not Jesus. That verse originally was spoken as a command to Jesus. Right? But Paul, and then Jesus says, I'm the light, and I'm telling you to be the light. And then Paul takes and runs with it and says, the Lord has commanded us, I have set you, you now being you and I, not the Messiah, but you and I, uh, as a light to the Gentiles. That you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Yeah, frankly, that's pretty audacious of Paul to do that. He just hijacked a verse that applied to the Messiah. and said, Some people could say he was misinterpreting it. But because it's in Scripture, we can't say that. See, the reality is, you are Jesus to the world. Because you're the body of Christ. He's the head, you're the body. So the only light they're going to see is you. That's why we have to be disciples and walk Christ-like in this world. Uh, what does this mean? <clears throat> disciples, we walk in Christ's anointing. We, we are, say, I am Christ's light in the world. In the world. Right? I am, say it, I am supposed, to supposed to fulfill the prophecies and promises, prophecies and promises. described of Jesus. Ah! Who do you think you are? So <laughs> That means when the Bible says something about Jesus, you're supposed to say, it's talking about me. Why? Because I'm dead. And the life I now have, I have with God, hidden with God, hidden with Christ in God. I'm in Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. A Christian. Christian in Christ. We are to represent Christ, so we can take those promises, and not just say, "Oh, that's something Jesus has to do because're does that make any sense? Yeah. Wow. Being a Christian means more than attending church <laughs> or believing a particular doctrine. It means living in the life of Christ with all of its prophetic power and potential being exhibited, shining in your present circumstance. Oh, if Jesus would just show up. Jesus is saying, I'm there. I'm in you. Just shine. Let your salt be tasted. Okay, so this sanctifies every act, every job, every interaction. Does that make sense? It it makes it holy. It sets it apart. But only if you believe it. Alright? Because if you don't believe it, you won't act on it. You won't shine. If you say, oh, this is just my job and I have to do this and do this and do this, and boy, I can't wait till I get around Christians and can celebrate Jesus. You know? well, now I have to go, I have to clean the house. Boy, I just wish I could work listen, you know, I wish I could be doing this or doing that. No. No, 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 no. Because Jesus is present in you. Right? <sighs> And so it sanctifies every act. In other, words, in other words, everything you do, every act in life becomes holy. It becomes a, a, pl- a, a place where you can embrace it. You can represent Jesus Christ. If you let it, it can make every interaction prophetic. Right? You can let the prophetic flow. You can tap in, tune in to the voice of God. You know, God hasn't stopped speaking, has He? Jesus is what? The Word of God? Right? In the beginning was the... Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is the Word. Do you think He lost His voice? Everything is held together by the Word of His power, it says in another place in Scripture. So when Jesus stops talking, all the molecules and atoms will fall apart. Alright? So as long as... Things are still being held together. You can have confidence God's talking. we just got to tune in and hear Him. So every interaction can be prophetic. What I'm saying is that no matter where you are, no matter what mood you're in, God has a word for you and a word for that situation. you just got to listen and learn how to hear it. Every encounter can be supernatural. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. What does that mean? That means wherever you are, His kingdom is there. Influence shines. Let the salt be tasted. Every moment, heavenly. Every moment. And I mean the bad moments. That's when you need them most. You need to be able to tune in when you're being tempted or even while you're sinning. And you realize, this is wrong. God, I need you now. You know, He's still there. He hasn't abandoned you. And if you can learn how to tap into Him then, there's freedom from the sin uh you' uh, so that my question is, are you living like Christ in your world? Are you shining his light and I challenge you to ask yourself uh, those things and it goes on it says a city set on a, on a hill um, uh, at night, city lights become a beacon for wayward travelers. you know of course, now we have headlights <laughs> or cell phones. <laughs> 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 isn't it cool isn't it great, isn't it great living in, in the future it's so cool <laughs> so I, I love it <clears throat> when I'm out in the country especially or up north when I, at night I don't know if you do this but I'll, I'll see you know certain parts of the sky are lit up and you go okay that's Kalamazoo you know, over there that's that's Ashtore depending on where you are you can kind of pick out what cities because the light of a city. Now, think of, of ancient days when people were traveling from town to town. And, and, and so a city would actually, they would use that light to guide their travel. They would know how to navigate through darkness because of the light of the city. And they wouldn't get lost because of it. And so this is significant. Jesus says we're to, uh, uh, saying that <clears throat> we are lights and should shine. And influence those near to us, but also those more distant. We're to be a light, but when we're gathered together, together we become a city on the hill. And so that influence can, can extend further as we, as we gather together. So Then he goes on, he says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, under, under, or, uh, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, <clears throat> that's just silly. A silly idea to light a lamp and put it under a, a, book, a, a bucket or a, a, a basket, isn't it? Right? And Jesus understood. He says, you just don't do that, do you? That'd, that'd be really ridiculous to turn on a light and then put a basket. Especially in their days since the light was flame." <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Why would Jesus say that? Why would he say something that was so obviously something people wouldn't do? Well, there's a reason. It's because being salty and being shiny provokes that persecution. He's saying it's a light. He said you wouldn't light a light and then put it under a basket, would you? No, we wouldn't do that. But remember, being a light and being salt provokes persecution. And so it, it's silly. Uh, he says this in another way in, in, in another gospel in John 15. He says... Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. There's one of those promises of Scripture we can hold on to. But what it means is that if we're really having an influence in those around us, there will be pushback. Now, we can have faith that it's going to, there's going to be breakthrough, but breakthrough comes after pushback. All right? And then he goes on, there is a promise here. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. We're studying Jesus' words, two thousand years after he spoke them, and so what he's saying is that there's going to be a long-lasting effect of your influence if you let that light shine. But if you if you if you um, quench it uh, by covering it, you're gonna you're you're not gonna have that influence. This is actually from the uh, uh, Life Application Bible. There's six ways we we hide our light. Trying to get practical here. By uh, being quiet when we should speak up. All right? And missing opportunities to share, talk about Jesus. uh, Missing uh, uh, the opportunity to speak the good news. And you know what? Sometimes it happens because you're afraid. Like, there's been times where I'm like, I know God's telling me there's a clear opportunity to say something, and I'm like, well, you know. God, if you really want me to do that, then, you know, let them come up and ask me this. (laughs) God, if you really want me to do that. You know, you start throwing out all these fleeces, and it's like, he says, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's an assumed. He wants you to tell other people about him. He wants you to shine. All right? All right? So you should, you know, your 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 and my attitude should be I'm going to talk about Jesus unless God you know forces me not to. Second thing is going along along with the crowd when your conscious conscience tells us to behave differently. And you know we're often not in a crowd in a literal sense but we are in a crowd every day when we talk about like the television influence or the internet influence that we have. The, the YouTube videos, whatever the, the culture is caught up in and you just kind of are carried along with that cultural trend. Oh, there's a book that's dropped. Everybody's reading it. So you read it, too, without stopping and saying, wait a minute, how is that affecting my life? How is it uh, affecting how I'm influencing others? Uh, and, and and maybe it's an opportunity where you can you can read something and then share. Well, this is what I thought. This is what how I. Uh, uh, Applied to my faith, how my faith reacted, how my relationship with Jesus. Denying the light, not allowing God to increase your personal level of brightness. Okay. In other words, I'm I'm bright enough, God. I'm salty enough. No more. You know, I go to church on Sunday. I hear a little scripture. I'm not going to read that Bible every day. I think I actually Do I have to pray every day? No, you have to pray every minute. You have to learn how to live in a constant state of communion with with God. Do you have to read the Word every day? Yeah. You should be thinking about it all the time. You know, it's life. So allowing, you know, don't deny the light. Letting sin dim your light. It sin obstructs. When you be, do behavior that is contrary to the character of Christ, you you put blocks up. It's just, it's 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 it, it hinders. The light it hinders the character of God. It dilutes the effect God desires to have in our life, and it wounds and hurts you. It makes you impair. It impairs you from being uh, the influence that God calls you to. Um, Fifth way is not explaining our light to others. We must be willing and able and willing uh, and ready to communicate what's different, why we're salty, why we're shining. And so you can, you can do things or you can be a certain way, but if you don't explain that, there's never a connection for those people um, that may encounter me like you. You've got to pray and ask for opportunities to take it the next step. Peter says, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with the meekness and fear. And the sixth way is ignoring the needs of others. When you see a need, you have to understand that it's your opportunity to shine, to season, okay, to influence. And false humility may say, well, that's none of my business. That's not my concern. But you need to ask, is this an opportunity to be Jesus, to be the body of Christ to that person or those individuals in that circumstance? And look for opportunities to do that. Finally, it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus gives us the motivation. This verse is talking about why we shine and why we're salty. Okay? The motivation is not so that they see us and go, wow, isn't Cameron a good person? Well, that may be true. <laughs> Until you get to know me better. No. <laughs> the motivation is so that they see the Father. Uh, 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 we're to be salty and lighty to bring glory to our Father in Heaven. So this requires that along with doing good stuff, doing good works, we also proclaim the good news. All right? we, we tell them who Jesus is. France, the author of the commentary says, a secret disciple is no more use in the world than one who has lost his distinctiveness. In other words, who's lost the flavor. All right? Don't be a secret disciple. Right. Let your light shine. Let them know that it's shining the light of God. So our motivation is to live as sons and daughters in a love relationship with our Heavenly Father. Um, He is the source. He's the source and the destination um, for our lives, but also the one to whom we're we're supposed to direct um, those that we influence. So our... our, um, Our objective is to lead people into relationship with Him. Amen? Aaron has some announcements.